Welcome to Dr. 3, a Hearthstone podcast dedicated to giving you explosive growth and climbing the standard ranked ladder. I'm your host, Daring Alkaline, and along with me are my fellow hosts, Dragon Rider and Major Death. So let's just go ahead and hop right into last week's poll question. What did we have last week, Mage? Yeah, sure. So last week's poll question we asked... Do you think card buffs would make the Stormwind meta better? We had 41 votes. Thank you to all of you that voted. And a majority of you, 61%, said yes. You think that buffs would make the Stormwind meta better? 26.8% said they were not sure. And only 12.2% said no. Uh Got a couple replies on it. Uh, Wildcard said that he thinks it's going to take a mixture of nerfs to the quests plus buffs to make the make the meta better. And Diego Centric said, "Whatever it takes to make Warrior a real class again." And I am sure he is not the only one. So, so yeah, that uh, those were that was the comments about this week's poll question. We'll have another one at the end of this week's episode as well. Perfect. So we will move right into the news. So first up, we have Wild Bug Fix deployed to address Cthulhu slash Maxima, Maxima Blastenheimer interaction. Players were seeing a single card, a single buff Cthulhu pulled out of the deck by Maxima Blastenheimer as a 128-128 minion. That, of course, OTKs an opponent. So... Yes. Bizarre. That was fun for a few days. You had to play one minion to buff Cthulhu before turn six or whatever when you'd play Maxima. Play Maxima, it would pop out as a 6-6 six, six, and then immediately make itself a 128-128. And then Maxima says, launch an opponent at, at the opposing hero. And with a 128... Nobody's going to have that much health and armor, so you just died. And so it was a thing for for several days, and they patched it with a server-side patch. Apparently nobody that exploited said, uh, said uh, bug is going to get any sort of uh, uh, suspension or anything. So I guess if you took advantage of that, you took advantage of that. So. <laughs> that is a... Uh... Bizarre bug. I don't know how that happens, but then again, yeah, I'm not a so developer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not like one of those things where, like, oh, this card isn't doing what it should do. Like, I want, you know, I wonder what it is. Like, how did Kasoon, like, get pulled out by that card, turned into a 128, 128, and then immediately KOs the opponent? Like, what? Okay. I I understand I understand mistakes can happen, but that is a that is a silly mistake that or that's a silly interaction that uh, caused a bug. Yeah, there's definitely some programming there that uh, my my assumption is that it has something to do with the way they buff Cthulhu while it's in your deck uh, when your opponent when you play a minion that buffs Cthulhu. And that for some reason, when it gets pulled out of the deck rather than being just played, it probably maxes out at whatever the max Cthulhu could be, which they've probably programmed to be 128, 128, and then 
hits your opponent in the face. It's that's certainly that weird. I'm curious. I'm curious how somebody found out that this was a thing to begin with. Like, why were you running those specific cards in a deck and managed to do it? And then you're like, "Oh my god, look at look at what I can do!" And then it, uh, of course, got all over uh, the the online community, and so uh, you know, lots of people were talking about it. More and more people got to do it, and then they had to do something about it. <laughs> Shocker. All right. Yeah. So let's move on to Ixar's Twitter questions and answers number 29. Dean covered the Hearthstone UI, cosmetics, single-player content, and duels, among other topics. On Diamond Cards for Older Sets, we'll get there, just taking some time. Mercenaries has been a heavy lift for the team, so most features beyond current content upkeep have been on hold while we gear up for release. On a redesigned UI, uh, parentheses, if you don't know what that means, it's user interface. So that's UI stands for user interface. No plans to redesign the whole UI. We have improvements to things like shop, but uh, the battlegrounds menu, and collection. Nothing that I'd consider a major overhaul. On his favorite Stormwind card. I like the Druid quest a lot, though. I tend to like the bear form fantasy of a Druid, so the attacking armor-based archetypes are always fun to me. Alright, this is gonna be a, a big one, so just, just bear with me as I, as I'm my, as I make my way through this. On not playing minions against Mage and Warlock. I felt this is, uh, I felt this a lot in the mage quest mirror early in the expansion, but not much outside of that. Most decks just can't win if they don't play minions, so the thought of holding back isn't really an option. In the mirror, though, I suppose I never felt awful for not wanting to play a minion I generated. If anything, it felt like a smart play to hold back. I don't think this is a big pain in the case of the mage and warlock quest, but it has been in the past. Spreading Plague is a good example of a card that punishes you for doing normal Hearthstone things. I'd look back on that design as something we definitely shouldn't have made as powerful as we did. Mostly for the reason you stated above. You get punished for just playing in an extreme way. So, <laughs> that is a whew, hefty response. But a good, but a good question, because yes. there's definitely, I, I feel like... It does. It definitely feels like that way for Mage. Like if you're in the mirror match, it is like you're playing chicken on who plays a minion first, and then you better have a way of killing your own minion when you do. Otherwise, you're potentially leaving yourself open to having your opponent jump past you in the quest progression. Warlock feels a little less like that, but I definitely understand the idea of. All of the oh, a lot of the healing that Warlock has available to it is based on being able to to you know use spells on minions and and yes they end up doing it on their own minions sometimes if they absolutely have to but you know uh, I, I I don't know I've ne I've never felt like I shouldn't play minions against Warlock even though uh, even though that can lead to extra healing for them and stuff yeah yeah I definitely feel like um... Mage is interesting, like he said in in the the mirror. 
it's certainly interesting because you're like, okay, well, I have to make my plans and how to complete my quest because I know they're not going to be leaving anything on the board. So it's it's a tough thing. And the like the biggest of brain plays is playing Dawn Grasp and then having enough in your hand to take Dawn Grasp off the board if you complete your quest first. If you don't complete your quest first, it doesn't really matter. But if you do, you want to take Dawn Grasp off the board because chances are even if they did nothing to Dawn Grasp, Dawn Grasp hitting their face generally heals them for one because it's going to proc Ice Barrier and it won't really matter. So, like, Dawn Grasp is there for his battle cry and then he can be removed from the game in the mirror. So, <laughs> that's just some experience I've had. Yeah. I've played a lot of Mage recently. It's been kind of weird, too, because I think, like, especially the Mage Mirror is one of those where we have seen a lot of different card choices because of that kind of interaction. Lists are like, ooh, do I really want to run these couple of minions? And if I do, like you guys are saying, like, okay, well, now I have to plan. Do I play a couple of cheap minions so that I can play it and then play my own spell? Do I not play minions at all and just go for pure spell thing? And it's like, this is a weird way to be playing the game right now. It, it did, I, I will say it. I did feel smart when I was able to navigate the mirror and like figured out ways of getting my quest completed before my opponent in spite of the fact that they weren't playing minions on the opposite side of the board for me to help kind of complete the quest. So, so I get, I get that feeling. It just, uh, outside of that one particular matchup, I guess I, I, if that started to feel the case in a lot more instances than just kind of like that one particular instance, I, uh, I, I would, I could definitely see starting to feel bad. Uh, yep, I liked, uh, I personally ran a list that ran two Wand Thieves, and I felt like the two Wand Thieves were uh, almost always a welcome inclusion. Like, the only time it ever feels a little bit bad is maybe pulling one off of the uh, refreshing spring water, but you learn to play around it, too. Like, if there's something you have to do and you can't gamble on refreshing spring water then you do what you have to do and wait to turn on the refreshing spring water. So like I liked I always liked the minions, the two small little minions, because the the fact is uh sometimes your spell discoveries is like Steward of Scrolls, uh Aegwin and uh you know imprisoned Phoenix. And then all of a sudden you don't have a cheap minion to blast in the face or you have to wait two turns and sometimes that's too slow. So having that wand thief that you can just pop out, potentially get another um, spell for a school you're missing and then, you know, trigger something else that... So I, I liked it a lot, so... Okay, so... Um, let's see... Uh, as we continue, deck deck guide spotlight. So there was a deck guide put out by uh, Orange uh, on Garot Rogue on uh, Mega Guide. 
or excuse me, it's it's just a Groat Rogue Mega Guide. Excuse me, I misread that. For Orange has been put out, and it's a 52-minute video covering everything you need to know about how to play this deck, including Mulligan and matchups. Orange highlights the Warlock matchups specifically and how best to use Secret Passage. So, if you're even remotely entertaining playing this deck, do yourself a favor and watch this 52-minute video. It's a time investment, but... um. You're gonna have to put in time if you want to play Garot Rogue. So, but it's yeah, detailed, showed, right? <laughs> yeah, and he showed he knows exactly what he's talking about. I mean, yeah, eight and zero in in the Masters, the most recent Masters tour, in part because of this deck, and has played a lot of games with the deck. And there are, it, it, it should be noted, and and I, you know, I watched Jay Alexander, and he he stresses this. You do not need to do the OTK in all instances. It's matchup dependent. And there are certain matchups where you do need to, to set up and do the big 32 points of damage uh, OTK. And then there's others where you just kind of have to fight for board a little bit uh, and, you know, try and chip them down somewhat in, in the early to mid game. And then you're just trying to finish them off with, you know, two or three bleeds that you've managed to manage to uh, pop uh, with some spell damage. Yeah, and it's important to know what those are. So this is highly, highly worth your time. So, yeah. Okay, and then finally, give please Felcane and Monsanto get week four wins in Grandmasters. Um, give please one three two over Bank Yugi with a lineup of Root Demon Hunter, Quest Handlock, Quest Shaman, and Control Priest. Falkine one three two uh three one over Frenetic with a lineup of Brute Demon Hunter, Quest Mage, Garot Rogue, and Quest Shaman. And Monsanto one three to one over Dreadeye with a lineup of Brute Demon Hunter, Agro Druid, Garot Rogue, and Quest Handlock. Note, Rogue and Warlock are the top two classes in re all regions, whereas Paladin saw no play for the straight or second straight week. And that's going to do it for news for this week. So, do we have any tournament updates for this week? Dragon Rider? Yes. Well, strap in, everybody. <laughs> I found quite a bit here this week. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a Great little coverage just of the results. Um, I just want to mention that last week for week four of Grandmasters was Last Hero Standing, which was pretty interesting and why most of the lineups, I think uh, Felkeen was one of the only few people that brought Quest Shaman, which seems very interesting because I feel like a lot of us see a lot of that, but uh, it's not quite as good of a, of a deck in a Last Hero, Last Hero Standing lineup as it would be in Conquest. Uh, but pretty interesting there. And speaking of Grandmasters, this coming weekend is week number five. Back to Conquest. Um, just just watch this weekend. Just uh, definitely watch this weekend. We'll talk about it next week. Um, now, last week I mentioned the game battles tournaments that I saw like advertised on uh, the the app. 
So <laughs> I fully intended, I signed up and I fully intended on playing. There was one Friday and one Saturday. Friday, I had a long day beforehand and I was just like, no, I'm, I've had a long day. I'm kind of mentally drained. I'll play the Saturday one. Saturday rolled around. <laughs> I did my stream and then completely forgot. And I went and did something else. So I didn't end up playing Ooh. in them. <laughs> I was, I didn't even think about it till like the next day. I was like, oops, I was going to play in that. But um, I did hear and see some stuff on Twitter that was saying that apparently there was no option for submitting deck lists. So it was like a closed deck list tournament, which... Uh, that's kind of interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And I think uh, for integrity of tournaments, especially in a completely online environment, I'm not sure if that's really the best option, I'll say. But uh, interesting to see that. Uh, next up, we have this coming Sunday, which is going to be uh, the 19th, September 19th. We have the Supergirl Gamer Pro Hearthstone, the sequel tournament coming back so it's just a one day thing and this one is the top eight point earners from the summer season which is Caracute, Murcielago, The Teacher, Linthesis, Baby Bear, Nasil, Edelweiss, Ampara Player. They have all been invited back Woo! to play in this top eight. Yeah. yeah exciting. Swayve and I are returning. Yeah it's, it's a good it's a good lineup. I'm excited for it and Swayve and I are going lineup. back to cast that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be exciting. I'm I am so, I'm in. You guys are also an awesome pair, so like this will be yeah. fun. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. And uh it it's really cool, I think, from my perspective too, because this coming weekend was originally going to be uh their LAN event, which they are still having for some of the games, but due to like COVID limitations, they couldn't have as much as they would hope for. Uh, just to limit the number of people at the event and things like that. Um, so for Hearthstone to get a chance not only to have become international because it was all online, they opened it up to these women from across the whole world. Now we're getting this chance to also do this like sequel tournament, you know, kind of cool uh, there. So definitely hope everybody checks that out as well. Now also uh, Collegiate Hearthstone is coming back. But there's some new changes, which is pretty exciting. Each expansion is going to have its own qualifier season, open qualifier season. So if you are in college, you know, collegiate stuff, definitely check out this link. I think the qualifiers for this one or the sign up is like through October 8th. So not much time to get signed up if you're interested in that. Uh, but top teams are going to have the chance for earning cash prizes and a spot in the annual Hearthstone Collegiate Masters Tournament, which then will feature cash prizes and then an invite to a 2022 Masters Tour. So that's kind of cool. So they're starting to build a little bit more in to kind of feed more into the Masters Tour stuff, which is uh, pretty great, I think. More chances for more players. Um, you know, of course, I replied to the HS Esports uh, tweet like oh does this mean more broadcast like please a girl can dream okay <laughs> i dream about her stone tournaments that's a good thing um, to dream about so yeah yes and i legit have dreamt about casting so it's 
it's a great thing and a terrible thing. <laughs> well, you got to shoot for the stars, and those are good dreams to have. So I, I think it's that's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, now switching over a little bit uh, to some uh, China tournaments. We have the China Gold Team playoffs have been starting this week. They started this morning. Uh, and by morning, I mean, for some of us, it was very, very early. Like, the Battleground stuff started at 3 a.m. Mountain Time. So, very, very early. Uh, but I just wanted to point this out because they have a really interesting, like, playoff thing. It's kind of like a staggered... I think they're calling it, like, a bubble event. So, it's... Like, they do a lot... It's not just singly limb. It's it's a lot of, kind of, staggered, like, win here, then play a bunch here, then win, and then move up again. So, uh, and... They've already been playing for 15 weeks of the regular season. And it's just, it's crazy because you look at like our, our grandmasters that we've been talking about, that's seven weeks. And then week eight is the like championship (laughs) and that's it. So already like they've been playing the regular season for like twice as long as grandmasters is. Uh, So tons of tournament, like that's a lot of competition, a lot of tournament practice. And speaking of Grandmasters, China has uh, recently just finished their first season of a China Grandmasters. And I have a couple articles linked here, but uh, it says 2021 Hearthstone Grandmasters Global Finals China Qualification, just uh, China Grandmasters Season 1 Playoffs, was the first weekend of September. And the eight players with the highest gold points from March to June uh, competed for the place to advance to the Hearthstone Global Finals 2021. And, uh, oh, man, I looked this up earlier, and now it's been a very long day, and I've forgotten. Um, Zhao Bai, I think it's just how I'm going to go say that for now. Um, he ended up winning that, so he secured a spot for the Hearthstone Global Finals for 2021. Uh, but pretty interesting to see that there's kind of now this it's like China grandmasters. They're really upping the collegiate stuff. Um, there's what seems to be like a lot more third party things coming out. So I'm really excited for the future of Hearthstone esports. I'm I'm hoping we continue to see more and more growth there. Uh, and on that note, just a personal update after the first weekend for uh, the Undercity qualifiers. I played five qualifiers, and I have a nine and five record after that. So pretty good start. And if I keep up that win rate, I I might be looking okay for trying to qualify via the 20 qualifiers. Um, We'll see. I think someone in my stream was was looking it up, and it's like this past one, the 50th person had like a 67% win rate over 20 qualifiers. Like that's a very high win rate over 20 or more qualifiers. And that means hey, they were at the bottom of the list, too. Nine and five is a 64% win rate. So that's, uh, yeah. yeah. If you are if you just can hang in there, maybe get an extra win or two here and there, that could uh, that could push you up near that, near that number. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's crazy to think that, you know, that the bottom 50th person had a 67% win rate. That means, like, people at the top, I can't, like... That's such a high win rate for that amount of tournaments. And to mm-hmm. be that consistent over that many tournaments, like, yeah, they better be qualifying, I feel like, because that's insane. 
it's nice to have that additional um, entry point for those people too, because it's, uh, I mean, they're obviously grinding like crazy. So that means they're like probably just outside of what is it? Do you have to be what four top eights? To get in, no, they're is... not. They're not doing that anymore. Okay, they replaced it with this top fifty people that have the highest win percentage. Gotcha, gotcha. So either you win yeah. or you play twenty and have the highest win rate. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. That's intense. Um, yeah. So, uh, do either of you have any thoughts or or any input on tournament stuff before we move into our main topic? Man, I wish I wish we had like seventeen weeks of grandmasters. I know that would be uh <laughs> I know it'd be a slog for the players, but like it always feels so short. Like the Grandmaster season always feels so short. And then it's like you have to wait months, you know, like a month every t- you know, there's a tournament like every other month or so. And I'm like, man, I well, I'm like can I get a third season of Grandmasters during the regular You know, I'm just like, <laughs> I want more competitive Hearthstone to watch during during the year. And, like, I know it's 16 weeks, but it doesn't feel like quite enough. It's 52 weeks. feel like we could get another 16 in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I yeah, am least, all for at least another eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least another eight. So that's, that's, yes. I, I'm not going to suggest that they need to be doing something 32 weeks out of the year. But, you know, uh, 24. I, in the other, the other thing that, like, I would like is I, I always feel like the, the, the world, worlds is a little small because it's an eight, ter- eight person bracket. Like, I feel like it should be a 16 person double limb bracket like that would that would make it more sense to me but you know i i'm not complaining i would just like to see a bigger field in that uh in that competition where you get a double elimination because you've come so far the fact that you're at worlds means right now you you had to have won um a season of grandmasters which is a intense feat in itself so i'm like i feel like there should be a little bit more wiggle room um in that so and i don't remember i think i'm pretty sure worlds has been single limb but i can't remember for sure right off the top of my head yeah Yeah. it's they've they've kind of in the past they crammed it into the blizzcon weekend Mm -hmm. because that's when they had all the esports stuff so they had to kind of make it smaller, but if they're doing their own thing, exactly, it could be bigger. Exactly. I just want more Hearthstone tournaments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're in the same boat. Give us more. We want yes. more. We obviously and, and are going to watch for, it. Yeah, and, and anybody that has watched, if you've watched or could go check out the VODs, um, I will, I'll get our, in our show notes, I will link the YouTube uh, video or channel as well where you can find like the china gold gold series vods they have like this grand stage they have a you know this host and she's standing there in her beautiful dress on the microphone and then it goes over to the casters and it's like oh oh that's amazing i just they always have such like amazing stuff like that oh i want that i want more of that yeah 
it, we'll get we'll get back to that it soon sooner than later but it i i miss i you know i miss the pageantry but i i when it comes down to it i just love watching the tournaments so like watching the high level play so interesting so because like even if i'm not watching it live i generally go back and watch most of the uh the matches on youtube too so and that's a nice thing. You can literally, all the matches are on YouTube. So if you don't want to watch them live and don't want to wait, you can literally watch the entire region for that week and just like speed through the commentary in between if you don't want to watch it, if you don't have the time to, and just watch the actual games. So that's like something else you can do too. But I mean, I'd recommend watching the whole thing because the, all the commentary is phenomenal. They have like such good teams. Um, for casting so like i would highly recommend it so okay i think that's it for tournaments right i think so yes thanks everybody for uh for listening to that very <laughs> lengthy section but yeah if you you've heard me talk about anything you know when i get very invested or i really enjoy it i uh I really try to share that with everybody so have my passion there you go Hey, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you right there. I think you you I think you're more passionate, but I I I have that fire too for the competitive scene. So, I like watching it. So, it's very cool. So, all right. Well, do we want to move into our main topic? Um so uh Mage, you want to kind of introduce this since this was kind of your brainchild for the week and we all kind of contributed. Yeah, so so we were talking before the show about what we wanted to talk about today. We don't have any buffs or nerfs to be talking about. We've got, you know, uh, a lot of the deck decks that are popular right now. We've talked about at least a little bit uh, over the podcast over the last few weeks. But we did want to talk about an aspect of some of those decks that you're seeing on ladder that you're probably playing with on ladder. And it is... Um, these specific resources that are available to you within your deck that that are going to help you win games, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about things like the cult neophyte, like the uh, guardian og merchant, or the field contact, because uh, Garrow Rogue is so popular, or um, you know the tradable mechanic as a whole. All of these cards are are very specific uh resources that you are have in the deck to to really help you win the game um you know we were talking about the it started with talking about our first our first subject here which is cult neophyte which is the two mana three two uh that makes your opponent's spells cost one more for the next turn and so you know it is it is a Bloodfin Raptor. We've seen two mana three twos a lot in Hearthstone, but this is a really good card uh, for not just playing it on two. That is actually probably one of the least impactful ways uh, that you can leverage that card. And in fact, when you know we're seeing it in something like Handlock. One of the best ways to leverage the Neophyte is to play it in conjunction to a big board. 
things when you when you get are able to finally get your giants on the board when you can get scavengers on the board make it so that the you're you're putting this down to make it more and more difficult for your opponent to clear the board so that the following turn maybe you you're you've got lethal set up and you just need the minions to survive or you need at least a few of the minions to survive so that you can battle master them and hit them in the face for a whole bunch and so you know there's there's um this is uh, definitely a, a thing in handlock this this card is in uh the the rogue deck it's it's leveraged uh it is twofold there one it actually helps you progress because you're you can draw cards with the field contact because it's a battle cry effect. So you've got that. And you're also hopefully preventing your opponent from being able to uh, to clear your board or, or something like that. So there, that's just two instances. You know, you're seeing this card potentially in Face Hunter as well. You probably are using it, again, the same thing. Maybe in that instance, you're using it more as just, I want to get a minion on the board, but it works better and has more of an impact if you're leveraging trying to keep some minions alive by having this cult neophyte. So, you know, um, that that's one example of a, a card that on its face is just one thing, but it it can be leveraged and be used in a in an instance that can really help you win games. I'm missing something there. There, Dragon Rider or Daring. Um, the only thing I would would say that you didn't really miss. It's just another way to look at it too. Is that like you can also use the cult neophyte on key turns too, not just only to protect your board, but if you know that they're going to do something key, or you notice that they're setting up to do something specific with that amount of mana you know that is going to be a spell then you can make their turn awkward and be like nope you can't do that like an example like mage yeah. like they're going you know they're going to play a fire sale well i play my cult ne ne uh, neophyte going into your turn four uh that and you haven't played you know, just saying things at normal cost we're not talking a canter flow so if if they're normal cost then all of a sudden that becomes five mana or if you're playing against a demon hunter and you're going into turn four well they have a card they kept at the far left of their hand you think it might be glide you play cult neophyte and you get to keep your hand another turn like so there's just a lot of matchup awareness to keep in mind, too, of uh, how to disrupt your opponent's turn. And when, if you're not playing a deck that doesn't have Raise Dead in it, <laughs> how you can use those resources to most effectively leverage your position. Yeah, that's kind of a point that I was going to bring up that, you know, Mage is talking about really how you can leverage this and you brought up mage about this is being played in even like face hunter decks and things like that, where, you know, yeah, you can't have a raised dead accessible. So you're not using the neophytes like repeatedly and you might not necessarily use it as like in the face hunter to be like, all right, cool. I'm going to just stop their turn. 
But sometimes you're using it in more of effect of your deck. Like uh, I was playing some Face Hunter yesterday and today uh, and trying it out. And also, I don't know if it's in Quest Hunter, but I was playing some of that. But um, really as a way to set up, like if you've gone wide, hey, I'm setting up for my own thing as well. So yeah, if you're preventing something, you're setting up for your own lethal. That's just feeding into like, I'm using this for a very specific purpose of I've got this board and now I'm going to use this to really try to keep my own board there and not necessarily as much of I'm stopping a big swing turn from them, but I'm helping my own big swing turn. So it's, it's been a really interesting card because I, like you said, mage, there's so many decks that it's being played in. And also it's, it's aggressively statted, right? As the three, two. So I think that's another reason why we're seeing it in a couple more decks, like included in face hunters and things. Cause then you can, then you can like, Hey, cool. Now you have a three attack thing. So it's, it's been a really interesting card that we've seen a lot now. And yeah, it, the it, more it's, playing it's, it, it's like, it's weird because we're, we're we're seeing it in the really aggressive decks like Face Hunter. We're seeing it in Shadow Priest. That that card is in Shadow Priest as well. You're seeing it in the more controlling sort of decks like the like the Handlock deck and that. So so there's ways that you can leverage this, like you said, to to keep a board. There's leverage ways that you can leverage this card to prevent your opponent from doing their really powerful thing if it's spell related. You made a great call there. We. Do you remember a time when we were playing Cult Neophyte to, to, to stop a turn six Skull of Gul'dan? Do we remember those days? Those those were days not too long ago, but that was that was a thing. And and like now you could be doing that to to maybe prevent a refreshing spring water or or something something like that. Uh, you know, even something as small as like making it making your opponent wait an extra turn to play that feral spirits because they have to pay four mana for it rather than three mana that can be that can be actually quite huge and so the the way you leverage cult neophyte in your matchups can actually have a really big effect of how the game ends up playing out from that point on and so you want to be really sure or you you want to leverage that resource to its maximum uh, effect, and you know that isn't always necessarily on turn two. Let's talk, let's talk about field contact because and Octobot as well. Those two are kind of the engine that drives the Garrot Rogue right now, and and you. It's been really interesting watching that deck. I, I've I've not played it myself. It looks incredibly difficult. I watched uh, some of Orange's video. I've watched Jay Alexander play it. That sort of thing, and it's it's really interesting. Like the you know we've had the Octobot for a little while, and so people are familiar with that. You're trying to get you know two mana one four reduces the cost of the cards in your hand by one, and you're trying to potentially hit field contact with the Octobot proc. And and because the way that you get to the OTK portion of the deck is by drawing a ton of cards. I'm 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 literally seeing if you can get Octobot procs on the field contact, 
you can get down to like two, three, four cards by turn six or seven. It is actually just really gross how much you can draw with this deck and 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 set it up so quickly. And like the the interesting thing is in like Miracle Rogue in the past has leveraged things like Shadow Step, um, but you like to do damage. Here you use Shadow Step to pull the field contact back to make sure that you can do this big swing draw swing slash draw turn again uh, with a reduced cost, you know, field contact and maybe some more minions that you've been able to Octobot discount and stuff. So, uh, you know, setting up a good field contact turn where you've got, you know, maybe a mix of, you know, brain freezes and, you know, you've got the, You've got everybody's favorite sniper, the uh, the one that got nerfed, the pen flinger, as well as you know other battle cry uh, cards like the neophyte, uh, guardian og merchant, which is another card I think uh, we're going to be talking about in a minute. All all of those cards kind of help draw you through that deck, so you can set up that Garrot turn with the with the spell damage and be able to get to get a win. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting too, because I think like field contact, especially a, a little bit Octobot because of how how big your hand is, but mostly field contact, especially watching like some of the tournaments or other streams. It's also like managing and balancing between field contact and your mana plus board space. Right, like that's been a big thing. Is like, okay, cool. I can get exactly, uh, you know, all my cards played with this mana, but then you realize, oh crap, I don't have enough board space to play all these things. And then you have to think about how you're using your other cards, like you said, Shadow Step or something differently, or you have to use your Battle Cries to kill off your own minions just to clear up a board space. And so then it becomes like the spiral of how you're actually leveraging your other resources in your deck. And it's, it's been like a really interesting uh, evolution of the use of field contact, I think, because like you were saying in, in past decks, we never really had that. You were using a different mechanic or you'd use the field contact for some draw, but you were just like, oh, okay, cool. Like three or four draw is fantastic. And then call it good. Like call it a day. But now it's like, who I've got all of these other things that now I have to juggle because of what's being used with these field contacts and Octobots. Yeah. The field contact is, is the draw thing. And like, if you have a field contact and you have a few of the the battle cry uh, or combo cards to to draw with, and you don't have the octobot proc. One thing you're seeing a lot is just turn three, play a field contact, shadow step it back into your hand so that it's got one, so that maybe on turn four or turn five you can just go off with it with the first big field contact turn. Whatever you need to do, it's like knowing the deck and knowing how best to leverage, uh, you know, the resource of the field contact and knowing you need to draw, you know, 20 some odd cards to potentially set up, uh, you know, what you're trying to do with this deck, uh, specifically in the matchups where you do need to OTK them. It is it's it's really something watching that dance. And like you said, 
Penflinger is in there and you've got a lot of one health minions, a lot of times you're penflinging your own minions to make board space or you're, you know, you end up, you know, using a, uh, something and just leaving your pen flinger on the board so that it doesn't come back to your hand because you don't have any hand space for it at that point. But it's, it's, it's really crazy and really interesting how that, how that is being set up. But that is the, that is the resource that you really have to leverage well in the, in the rogue deck, um, both before the miracle rogue deck and now the Garrett rogue deck in order to, to get wins it's it's an insane it's insane how fast that these people are working it out and you definitely have to be using your turn your opponent's turn to figure out what you can and can't do the next turn um some of the more important things to think about is yeah you have a lot of minions with one health um ethereal augmer should needs a minion with more than one health to grant spell damage um, so that's something to consider. That's a good reason to wait on an Octobot. It's the fact that it has four health, so it can take multiple charges from the, uh, Ethereal Aug Merchant. Um, it's just, it's just, uh, the insanity of that. Also, you have to keep in mind, too, how much spell damage do you need to kill? Sometimes one, one tick of the... Ethereal Aug Merchant is going to be enough, but sometimes you need three, so you need to know exactly, and then can you survive in fatigue, because your, um, your, uh, your, uh, field contact's going to be drawing you cards, are you okay with that, like, where does that end, like, it's just such an interesting thing, and field contact is, like, the driving engine, and how you use that, and utilize your mana and how you swerve and where you go with it is like super skill testing. I also really like um super interesting is in that deck too is um how secret passage is used. Cause a lot of times before you were using it to you know to find something specifically. Now it's just like alright, well I'm going to draw these cards and use as much out of this hand so there's Essentially, one card takes three to four cards out of your deck. You don't really care what happens. Like, I there was a game in Grandmasters this weekend where, like, I think it was the secret passage was like prep, prep, Octobot, something else, and it literally played the secret passage, played two preps for nothing, and played the Octobot, and just like. That was just it. They won that game. I don't remember who it was, but that was like an insane game. It was like literally threw away two preps, which is a pretty valuable resource in that matchup. But it's not as important as, important as getting through your deck. So that's why, <laughs> you know, field contact is what it is. It's it's this insane engine. So like, and it's fragile, right? It's a 3-2. Easily killed. So, um... That's why I think it's here. Yeah. Because we're talking about it. It's going it, to, it, it has a target on its back when it's on the board. And so you have to leverage as leverage it to its fullest extent when it's on the board because it's not going to stay on the board. I was going to say, if it stays on the board, you pretty much already won. Like, there's no, yeah. like, 
there's very few games I can imagine where a field contact survives a turn and you don't win the game. <laughs> so. Uh, next up is the Guardian Og Merchant. This is a, you know, it's been around for a little bit. One mana, two, one battle cry, deal one damage to a minion. Give it divine shield. This, this little card is finding its way in a lot of different decks. We've seen it in face Hunter. It's in the, uh, aggro taunt druid deck uh it's in the shadow priest deck for a couple reasons one it's really inexpensive um i think the battle cry giving something divine shield can be incredibly powerful right now uh allowing you to keep board while having minions and developing a small minion on top of it can be really important there's a lot of instances where just doing one damage to an enemy minion can be rather important as well. So, uh, you know, leveraging this card and thinking about a lot of times I pigeonhole this card because I think, oh, I have to give my my opponent or give my minion a divine shield. And that's the best way to use it. But that's not always the best way to use this card. And so you want to look at and you want to leverage this to its fullest extent and look at what what would it do if I remove a minion off the opponent's board by doing one damage to it here and developing a 2-1 on top of that on my side of the board. It's a small thing. It, it's not probably something you've thought a lot about, but there's definitely advantages uh, to doing that sometimes. And, and you know, it's it's something to consider when when you have access to this card and you and you're looking at the board maybe you're trying to just stay alive for one more turn as that rogue or or you're trying to um you know maybe set up a a really difficult bone sure brawler uh on your side of the board something like that there's there's lots of ways that you could use this card uh and and sometimes like against something like a um a weapon rogue, you just put a 2-1 on the board and use it to start going face because you don't have many turns before your opponent could potentially be cloaking and and you just need to do as much damage as you possibly can in the in the time that you have available to you. Yep. Divine Shields are kind of awkward for some of the decks right now, too. Thinking about some of the spells, like AoE spells or, you know... It, a deck having to use a couple of different spells. Uh, I made the mistake today uh, as quest hunter of not thinking about the divine shield as, Oh, that means that I actually technically don't do damage with the spell that I used on that divine shield, which then means that spell does not count towards your quest. So even just creating a divine shield on your side of the board to mess with your opponent's, spells or whatever they're trying to do as well it's you know i i feel like a lot of us have maybe been underrating it and some of those interactions today i was like whoo yeah this is actually kind of a relevant thing yeah it is it's it it so when i first really saw that card started to see play was back in I, i mean when it came out and when it was in with um uh tempo demon hunter back you know back in ashes of outland was that did that come back in or did that that come out it was in skullmance with the merchants and skullmance i don't remember 
Anyways, early, early quest, or, uh, Tempo Demon Hunter. And, like, I just remember, yes, the Divine Shield's awesome, but tr- the the fact that you can Tempo trade and, like, do these weird, you know, these little interactions of, like, this just does one mana. And on turn one or turn two, when controlling the board and a few extra points of damage can determine a game, like, the fact that you can just battle cry something dead is incredible. So, like, knowing knowing when to use it as opposed to and where to use it on is is a very um a very high skill i i think it's it's it requires a lot of um matchup awareness and what you're looking to do and what your opponent's looking to do guardian was ashes outland that's why i thought i thought they were all came out during ashes outland so um so yeah i like this i i think this card definitely is a, a skill tester and that it it's underrated as to what it can do because it doesn't seem like a lot when you just look at it, like oh just give something divine shield paladin has something that does that the three two that gives something a divine shield but this does so much more and it fits in a lot of different places in this current meta Next up, we're going to talk about tradable cards. Our new keyword has actually created a very interesting resource uh, for decks. Uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of tradable cards, obviously, in the final showdown decks, the Demon Hunter decks, the Brute Demon Hunter uh, among them. Um, but this, the, this is every time you have a tradable card in your hand, you have the option of potentially playing said tradable card we're trading it back in to try and find something else. And, and, and there are, there, there is a lot of skill in deciding which route to go in a, in a lot of cases. I mean, some of those cards are, are, are fairly, fairly solid cards to just be able to play. You know, we were talking actually today about the uh, Rustrot Viper, the three mana, three, four, that battle that is tradable, but also can destroy a weapon. And, you know, whether or not you leverage the, uh, you know, you could put it in your deck to potentially blow up a weapon, but, you know, does it make more sense to just trade the card, even if they do have a weapon up? How much is that weapon progressing what they're trying to do versus what would that extra card draw potentially mean to you? Um, and then we get to the point in the later game where, you know, you can actually set up a scenario with the Brute Demon Hunter where you just keep trading cards in to buff your weapon to be able to go uh, and make a really, really big swing with with the uh, Lion's Frenzy, I believe is the name of that weapon. So uh, definitely think about, it, and, and, and it's not just there. It, it's literally, we're seeing tradable cards in a lot of the really, really big decks now. Even something like Overdraft in in Quest Shaman, it's you know, it it does make sense to that you that you have this card and you can you can unlock two mana crystals maybe with it with it if you use it now. But can it be? Can it? Is it more useful to get that card draw? 
okay, would you, could you find another, uh, uh, you know, uh, overload card to potentially help set up a bigger turn next turn or something like that? So it is uh, leveraging and getting the most out of your tradable cards can be really important in the in this meta right now. Yeah. Any tradable? thoughts? Tradable's been really interesting because it's like we talked about it when we were doing our set review right and we were we talked about like oh, okay well are these cards going to be good maybe a couple of these get played and like you said we've been seeing more getting put in just for the tradable itself like like you were mentioning in the in the demon hunter deck specifically but it's crazy like that just that draw effect just thinking about a one mana redo of that card like hey i'm just gonna put this back in my deck for one and redraw that card has such an effect on multiple decks like it's and the timing of it the timing as well like you're saying um it's a little bit less popular so maybe more of an off meta deck but you know i've still been trying here and there some uh death rattle demon hunter and we've seen the uh the peddler in there well, do you play it as a 4-3 that could pull the other one out when that dies? Or do you use it for card draw because you're trying to find something else or you need a different, you know, a, a different death rattle or something in your hand? And it's it's really interesting how the timing, I think, of trying to draw and deciding when you're going to do that is creating more of an impact than I expected it to. It is certainly... <laughs> One of the most interesting keywords they've come up with. Like everything else has felt, um, and I'm going to generalize here, so don't crucify me if I am a little bit off on this, but it feels like everything else is kind of straightforward when it comes into play. But this has been super, super interesting because <clears throat> the flexibility on the cards they've put it on have been very interesting obviously they're not all you know bangers but like you know guild trader rustrot viper you know fire sale overdraft these are all cards that have a lot of upside in certain decks but also the fact that they can be traded when you don't need them for that ability makes it super super interesting and like as i've been we've been talking about these are skill testing things and like knowing when to throw a card back and spend that one mana to get that re-roll because you need something very specific like that is uh, like the I always the you know the play to your out kind of thing, and that's always kind of stuck to me with me. And these cards allow you to do it a little bit more easily, but they also serve a, a purpose. Like they aren't just there for you to randomly draw. They are arcane intelligence. You know they are. You know destroy your, your opponent's weapon. Is that worth you know? How much is that worth to you? Having a card that isn't. A dud. You know, it's not acidic swampoos. Who wants an acidic swampoos when your opponent isn't running weapons on turn 10? No one. But if that acidic swampoos was A, a 3, 4, and B, you could trade it 
spend one mana and get a different card, like all of a sudden that becomes so much more interesting. So yeah, I am I love tradable. I think it is really a high a high level skill for sure. Uh, another card that I think is actually underrated with regards to its skill is Raise Dead, the uh, zero mana card that does three damage to your hero and then summons two minions that died uh, this game on your side of the board. Two friendly minions that, that died this game. And, you know, thinking about how you leverage Raise Dead when you're playing, whether you're playing the Warlock deck like Handlock or, or some one of the warlock decks or you're playing like shadow priest and and uh you know two completely different decks one's very aggressive versus one that's uh very much not aggressive necessarily uh but you still have that option or you still have a way you have to think about how, if you have this card in your opening hand it really does change how you play out those first few turns and those first few minions that you play because you know you have the ability to get those minions back. And so, you know, uh, Daring was talking before we started recording about how you can leverage Raised Dead to get multiple Cult Neophytes if you're playing a matchup where Cult Neophyte can be especially disruptive. You know, thinking about maybe like the, uh, you know, a mage matchup or, or something like that. A deck that is really leveraging spells uh, can be can be of uh, vital importance. Raise Dead also, like you know, if you end up with a bunch of those zero mana one one cards early on as as the uh, as the uh, priest player, it allows you to be aggressive with those. Make them kill them off once, and you get them back. Especially if you've got Gandling in hand. They might get in a shot or two, and then you have the ability to resurrect them and get, uh, you know, that four four that you were planning on getting with that with that uh, zero mana card uh, when you when you saw it was in the hand. So there is there is a lot to think about with Raise Dead and and like especially an early Raise Dead when you're when you're thinking about it in that first, uh, you know first four turns I, I would say and and like if you have it in your in your hand after the mulligan it's it can be really important and, and really should affect how you play the game um you know i think of like uh mana feeder panthera in the handlock deck right now if you can you know tap and and like play panthera and then you're able to raise another panthera with the uh with the raised dead that could be incredibly powerful yes it's incredibly powerful if you can raise dead a freaking giant obviously that's going to be good but just even allowing you to potentially get additional card draw so you can get down to 10 cards so you suddenly turn on your scavengers or your or your bristlebacks can also be just as important so you, leveraging Raised Dead to its fullest capability can really uh, determine wins and losses, uh, both with the Shadow Priest as well as the Warlock decks. Yeah, it's it's an intense card that can do a lot of different good things, and like it, I think curating it and knowing when to pull on it is definitely a skill because you can, like you said in the in the quest or in the uh, Shadow Priest, you you like knowing what you put in 
is very important. And like when you look at Warlock, if you're playing more of the handlock style and you're like, well, I have these uh, um, tour guides here in my hand. I can play those. But do I really want to be raised deading tour guides? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll play that Anetheron and that Goldshire Knoll. Like, I'll, yes, I'll take more of those, please. Like, and dumping those and and like, it even goes a you know it goes a step further with Quest Warlock. It's like. How do I leverage that three damage to myself to complete quest? Like, I using it in a way that isn't over completing my quest, if possible. So, like, that is a very intense, like, just knowing what the odds are and knowing what you're putting in the pool and what your minions you're putting out and how you're playing your hand. I think it's just a super intense, like, really really high level skill to actually be able to knowingly put things in there and plan out your raise dead to give you the best chance to win yeah it's this is one of those cards that i feel like is such an interesting like intersection of uh what you are playing in your deck like you mentioned like what version of the warlock deck you're playing or you know how you have your deck built so what's the most important for your deck but then also so intersecting what you have in your deck what matchup you're playing to leverage what you have in your deck and also what your deck has given you so far in the game because sometimes you just have to go with it and be like well I need to play this raised dead to try to get something and, you know, cool. I haven't gotten the best minions played out and, and killed yet, but you know, I have to make the decision of just getting those back to have something to do because my hand is not good or, or whatever that is. But it's, it's one of those cards, like, you know, sometimes cards are like, yeah, you can't really use them in certain matchups very well, or you just kind of have to hope you get something but I feel like this is one of those cards that's just those three things really meeting, you know, and creating that that intersection of how you have your deck built versus the matchup versus what you've been drawing and seeing so far in the game. Yeah, de- definitely. I I I think I, the the fact that the quest now requires you to take damage. I think really makes that even more more so uh, something that you have to think about, and and just being able to uh, make 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 best use of that card. I don't know how many times I've like thought I should just play this the, this tour guide out, and then suddenly I'm like, oh crap, I don't want to, uh, I, I I don't want to do that because that means. I've got a one in three, you know, one in three or one in four chance of getting the tour guide back. And that's not the minion I want back at this particular time. So exactly. Well, I think we, I think we've hit all the, uh, you know, a, a couple of the, uh, really specific, uh, minions or resources, uh, that are really important to the decks that they're in right now and, and thinking about how to potentially leverage them to their fullest extent, 
uh, can help you win games. So definitely think about those cards when you're playing those decks. Think about the ways that you're using those cards and think about if there might be a better way that you could be playing those cards to get a little bit more out of them. And uh, hopefully you will see some some good results as a, as a result of, uh, of that thinking. So I think we're going to end things there. Yep, I think so. So why don't you hit us with our poll question for the week? Sounds good. And this is this is a poll question specifically for uh, our, our good friend Dragon Rider. She's been talking about card draw over the last few weeks. And uh, we have a poll question specifically about card draw. And we want to know from you, the listener, do you think card draw is the reason decks feel so powerful right now? We have decks that feel immensely powerful right now and we have a lot of draw uh accessible uh across all the classes we have tradable that can help you draw cards as well and do you think that's the reason decks feel really powerful right now the answer is pretty simple yes no or you're not sure vote tell us what you think we'd love to get a reply to the to the message get further expanding on your vote and uh, we will talk about the results on next week's show. Speaking of the show, you can find the show on Twitter at Dr3HS. Follow our top pin tweet to join the Dr3 Discord. And you can email the show at Dr3HS at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Daring Alkaline. Dragon Rider, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at DonnieDK. That's D-A-W-N-I-E-D-K. Streaming usually now Tuesday through Saturday, starting at 6 a.m. Mountain Time over at twitch.tv slash DragonRiderDK. That is so early. I can't believe you get up that early and start playing Hearthstone. I'm like, I can't think about playing Hearthstone before like 10 a.m. It's just crazy. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I, I told you all before t- t- last night, I, I for this morning, uh, however you want to look at it, I woke up at like one forty-five, so I actually managed to get up and like I made coffee, and then I made myself some breakfast, and I watched and you know some of that uh, the gold, uh, the China gold team battleground stuff, and was cheering on Slissa, was putting together some of the notes for this tournament stuff preparing for the casting this weekend and i was like this is the freaking dream like maybe not the being up like that early but and and it was just crazy thinking about i had all that done before most people were even up so i try to leverage that to keep talking about leveraging i I try to leverage that but you know i enjoy my coffee time so i figure you know might as well stream and play some hearthstone while i drink my coffee nice and I didn't mean to cut into your into your yeah. where can they find you? If you had anything nope. else. Yes, exactly. Please finish up if you have anything else you'd like to plug. Um yeah, the uh the Supergirl Gamer Pro casting this weekend and uh, you know, watch some watch some Grandmasters. Yep. I pl- I will be watching Grandmasters all Friday. Yes. So Yeah. And uh uh Mage, what do you where where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I've been 
playing some Battlegrounds a little bit recently. This is kind of crazy, but yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. But so I'm having fun with that. You can hear how I'm doing my uh, my trials and turbulations on ladder, both in standard and wild, as well as uh, probably D and D and some other video game stuff on Twitter. You can find me at Majadeth. Awesome. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. And as always, you've been listening to Dr. Three.